Time has not always been measured. Not in the way that we measure it now, in years, months, days, hours, minutes, and even seconds. As we measure time with such precision, time becomes a non-renewable resource that must carefully be managed. We dare not waste time. Humans have created complex systems to extract as much as possible from every moment of every day. The unhappy byproduct is that we find ourselves with almost no room for savoring our joys and accomplishments. Though time cannot accelerate, the blind sprint in which we are caught makes us feel as though time goes by with increasing speed. Our lives are stuffed and stressed. Anxiety threatens to erode our souls. As we run faster and faster on the wheel of life, God's word whispers what can only seem absurd to us. Don't worry. Don't be anxious. Be at peace. God lovingly and patiently moves at a sustainable pace and rhythm, but it is too slow for us. Yet the clock ticks on and time rushes past. We need to pause, to reflect, to listen to our patient God who lives and moves and breathes patience. This series will seek to redirect us toward the patient posture of our God, the God of the universe who is never anxious. Praise God that he's very different than our world. Somebody say amen. amen. Mm-hmm. Well, we are in this teaching series throughout this month. We've called Practices of Patience. And one of the things that we are doing um, in this series, and we'll see if it's something that we, we do all the time, is giving you an opportunity to ask questions And the way that we would like for this to happen is to text that phone number there, which is a number that is reserved solely for this purpose. So this is not uh, somebody's phone number. This is just a New Hope phone number, I suppose, that is for texting questions. And if you have questions that come up um, as we go through the service or through the message, um, we'll choose to respond to one or two of them at the end of the message. This is a way for us to do some feedback because not everything makes as much sense as I think it does. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) All right. Let's stand together and read the scriptures uh, this morning. We won't read the references, um, just the words themselves. All together, ready, go. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously And he will give you everything you need. So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need 
and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. The word of the Lord. Hmm. You can be seated. Today, as Lainey um, already clued us into, thinking about arriving at peace or patience through the medium of prayer. I made a new friend recently, and um, he's a kind young man, a Muslim refugee from a different country. And I got his permission to share this story. Um, he fled here. He told me that one day, because of the situation in the country that he comes from, the situation of his life in that country, that all of a sudden, one day, he had five minutes to make a decision that no one would want to make, to stay in his country and be hunted down and killed, or to leave his wife and his daughter in that country so he can perhaps stay alive in another and be able to help them later. And in five minutes, he made that decision, and he courageously fled. And through a long process, he's obtained refugee status here at Salem. Recently, a large bomb went off in the town that his wife is still living in, and 30 people were killed and 50 were injured. Um, in talking to his wife, they decided that she shouldn't go anywhere until she can get here. He told me, this young man, that it is good for him to work a lot. He has uh, two or three jobs. Because when he's working a lot, he doesn't have time to think about his painful past or his uncertain future. He is in a space in which he is required to trust, required to move in faith. He has no control, very little control. And so I asked him if I could pray with him. We had coffee together. And he told me that he felt very special that a Christian would pray for a Muslim. I feel special to know him. I feel privileged to know this refugee. My new friend is living what is in what is always real for us, but it's very obvious to him. The world as it is, uh, is not something we can control. And so we are subjected to anxiety and worry and impatience. But then I think about what we're called to as followers of Jesus. And I think about the hope that we live in. And it seems as though it should evoke a different response in the midst of the lack of control. We're called to be people of love. And as we talked about last week, one of the first qualities of love, or the first definitions, is that love is patient. And we cannot be patient unless we come to peace. And so how do we do that? And we're going to get to that a bit this morning. But before we do, um, I want to evaluate, further evaluate, one societal dynamic that we live in um, that puts us in a chronic place of, of stress. And I, I hope to, from time to time, we do this pretty regularly, identify one of the things about our culture that, that maybe is unseen or it's just so like um, under the surface that we don't know that it actually can cultivate stress or anxiety or, or lead us in a, a false way of thinking about the world. Um, so I want to evaluate one thing um, that puts us in this chronic place of stress. 
Ironically, the dark side of a society like ours that loves to free itself from all constraints finds itself bound to ever-increasing anxiety. Um, and we've heard a lot in recent years in our culture about the uptick in anxiety, and we, we want to attend to it in responsible ways. Um, so here's just one aspect that I, I've noticed. Um, in short, in recent times in our, in our society, um, we've, adopt, we've adopted this way of, of um, living the, the, the individual life being the most important thing. Um, like unfettered from unnecessary constraints so that you can just be the you that you are. And, um, and the dark side of that is it's, it's really actually quite, there's a lot of pressure for us to self-identify and then live out what we think that we are. But anyway, this, this dynamic that I think we'll be able to relate to um, shows you that, um, or I hope to illustrate at least in part, the, that there is a, a um, as the individual is freed, we get, become disconnected from things that previously would have kept us at some sort of peace. So uh, one subtle or hidden dynamic that puts us in a lifestyle that accumulates stress, geographical autonomy. So you may have thought, this, you may have thought about this before, you may not have. Um, geographical autonomy. So in 1956, President Eisenhower signed into legislation the funding for the U.S. Interstate Highway System, um, which some of that is illustrated here. Quite a feat, you know. Most of us have lived for most of our lives that the, the freeway system is just kind of a part of the way things are, but obviously that wasn't always so. And in 1956, that funding was developed. And through, up until the 1990s, this massive highway system was formed. And there's no doubt that by 1956, the automobile had already revolutionized the way that uh, Americans interacted and you know, gave us a lot of geographical autonomy that you can drive further distances and the world got a bit smaller um, as it were. But this project, the freeway project, would set into motion a dynamic that we live with today. The freeway system has allowed for our sense of community to extend far beyond our geographical location. Like our sense of community has been diffused of, uh, on this broad geographical location. And we don't even know this necessarily, but it's something I'm wanting us to, to wrestle with so that you, anyway, we'll connect some dots and you might see that, oh, this is part of why the world is anxious. Um, when our friends from Northern Ireland, Gary Bolton and his daughters were in town, I picked them up from the Portland airport and we were driving down I-5 and, you know, they're from Ireland, a, a, a small um, island, you know, and, and I said, we could drive on this road and with no stop sign, no stoplight, no roundabout, go all the way to Mexico. And they were like, what? <laughs> like it blew their minds. It blew their minds. I mean, it is one, from, from New Hope, I mapped this, it is 1,053 miles. I think we're going to move. We're going to go on a little road trip right now <laughs> with no stop sign. Just think about that. And once you get to California, you don't even have to talk to somebody to get your gas. <laughs> you can ignore everybody in the world and show up in Tijuana. <laughs> That's crazy. 
In less than one day, you could be over a thousand miles from here. Consider how this might affect the way that we think about the world. Uh, there's always good to it that we're more familiar with. But um, there's some downsides to the era that we live in. What this geographical autonomy affords is for us to no longer live or interact with our local neighborhoods. Like, we don't have to. We tend to live further away from family members. We tend to live further away from our hometowns. The radius in which we live tends to be broader. And although many of us, most of us aren't living with the sort of family separation angst that my Muslim friend is, our society is still constructed in a way that removes us from the natural supports of familiar place, familiar history, familiar people, and even a sense of belonging within that. We live in a world that this is, there's many things, but this cultivates anxiety. And we don't even see it because it's, again, it's normal. And it's also normal to live anxious <laughs> and to live worried. Um, are you guys tracking with what I'm saying? Yeah, this affects the world. So um, we can't change this overnight. I think when I was younger, I was like, oh, I want people to see these things because we're going to change the world. You know? And I realized, oh, the, the culture like eats ideals for lunch. It just does. It's like whatever ideal I have. But at least if we can know, like these are some of the things that we have to wrestle with. And the anxiety that you're experiencing, the worry or the angst is like, oh, of course. Like you've, you live in a culture that if there's a way to create a culture that, that on one hand tells you you live the good life and on the other hand wrecks you with anxiety, this is it. So you're being told that is such an amazing opportunity, and it is, but the other side of it is anxiety, which it is. And so how do we move forward? Today, just one exercise that we'll walk through that Paul enumerates um, to help us to get to a better place of peace, which helps us to get to a better place of patience. Um, so here's some prayer practices. Very briefly, it's stop worry. Decide to pray. I, I think I have them up here. Ah, there they are. I was practicing patience. Stop worry. Decide to pray. Tell God your needs. Thank him and experience peace. Okay, let's read again what Jesus said, which feels impossible. Um, Jesus says, seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything we need. And then he says what is, I think, hard for us. So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. Our culture always says the inverse. Worry about tomorrow, for today's problems are going to be there tomorrow. And today's trouble will be here tomorrow too. So get really afraid. <laughs> so this is Jesus talking. He's the son of God. So there's some authority. <laughs> 
the surrounding context of what Jesus says, um, you know, he's, he talks about like the, the lilies of the field don't worry about how to clothe themselves. The birds of the air don't worry about how to feed themselves. Your father cares for these. How much more does he care for you? What he's describing is a world that has provision for the people in it. And Jesus is describing a world that was made for humans to live in. And he describes a God that is good, a God that who just out of who he is provides. And therefore he can say, don't worry. If this is true, then don't worry. The trouble that we have is, is coming to a place of believing that's true again. And we have to interrupt ourselves. So Paul picks up on this theme of, of what to do with worry and anxiety. Because again, the world is quite a troubling place to live in. Um, and he addresses the church in Philippi. And just to remind you a little bit, Paul um, was writing this from prison. So he was not writing this from, you know, like a, a tropical island. <laughs> you know, Shaman, don't worry. It's, <laughs> it's going to be fine, man. <laughs> you know, he's... He's not saying it from that. He's, he's like in a Roman prison and likely a Roman prison and, and, you know, things aren't going well, but he's tapping into what is actually true, that Jesus has inaugurated his kingdom and it's, it's, it's true that we can find this, this peace, not in avoiding the world as it is, but living out his kingdom in the midst of what is. So Paul says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he's done. Then you will experience God's peace. That's what we want. We want that part right there, which exceeds anything we can understand. Yeah, it's not the peace that the world gives. Jesus says that. He says, I, I give you a peace that the world cannot have or does not give. Um, his peace will guard your hearts and your minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Praise God. Okay, I like that Paul offers a direct instead. <laughs> like, um, instead, don't worry. Um, instead of worrying. Um, in other words, there's something to do in, in place of that. Um, so, yeah, we'll get right to that. Okay, this is, this is the process. Don't worry, decide to pray, tell God your needs, thank him, experience, and then experience peace in your heart and your mind. So let's start. We'll just go through these a step at a time. Number one, what is it? Stop worrying. Stop worrying. Um, we, I don't know, sometimes I feel the right to worry. I feel like anxiety is my right. Like it is my right to mull over in my mind the infinite possibilities of what could go wrong. And I, I, I've listened to a lot of you, and I think that's pretty normal in our culture. We have a high estimation of the individual to be able to feel and express what they feel. And that's right and good. The, the other side of that is, don't tell me what to think. Don't tell me what to do with my emotions. And, but Paul here says, don't worry. So we shouldn't jump over this first imperative. This means that we're to cease doing something. Worry is active. Worrying is normal. Worry is the grandchild of fear. So fear is normal. Um, have you ever been driving and suddenly hit a major rainstorm? Anybody? 
Um, not like these sprinkle storms that we have here in Oregon, but Donnie and I were in Florida a couple of years ago in a van full of adults and we're cruising down the road and it was like this adult vacation, you know, like, so we we're just like, there's music playing, we're just having a great time. And, and then suddenly like a Florida rainstorm, just like all of a sudden just, and it's like, you know, people are just, you know, pouring buckets of water over the car. And I felt a surge of fear. That's right, yeah. So suddenly I couldn't, it was unnavigable, you know, and that, that, that's natural. Um, of course fear hit, but when we get cozy with fear, worry is the offspring. And we need to interrupt this process. Worry would be me dragging that fear to the surface anytime that I drive on the freeway. That's worry. I had an experience, and now that dictates that I have to go into anxiety every time that comes up. I must stop that. I must interrupt my process, my thought process. Paul is saying we must cease being cozy with fear, of sidling up to fear and allowing that to drive uh, my engine, my motivations, my perspective. That's what worry is. And we must use our minds that God has given us to recognize that state and to stop it, <laughs> to interrupt it. Now, thankfully, Paul doesn't just say, stop it. <laughs> He's like, don't do this. Instead, do this. So we interrupt our worry. Step number two, there is something we can do. Decide to pray. Decide to pray. Um, these can be short prayers. Let me teach you. Help. <laughs> if, if God's word can include two verse or two word verses, your prayers could be one or two words. God, help. Um, now, we, we do learn to pray more, and there's lots of ways that we pray. But when worry is hitting and we stop that, we interrupt, we inject God into the situation. The secret sauce of the action of prayer is not that we get God's attention, but that God gets our attention. <laughs> like God's not, God, what should I be thinking about? Okay. Oh, yeah. There you are. Speak up. He's very present and aware. But it's us who are, gosh, man, this is going to be hard, and it is really hard. Don't know what to do. <laughs> okay, I don't know why I'm doing this. I don't even know where that comes from. I don't even know. But we are the ones. God gets our attention. I'm with you. Stop worried. Jesus says this in Matthew 7. Talking about prayer, he says, keep asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks, receives. Everyone who seeks, finds. And to everyone who knocks, the door will be open. Now, when we read these verses, we're, we're thinking about like convincing the, um, or, like getting the attention of the owner of the house. But I want to redirect you. 
If you want help, you've got to approach the right house. If you want help, you need to approach the right house. Worry could be described this way. Knocking on the door of our own understanding. Knocking on the door of our own solution making. Knocking on the door of our own reason. Knocking on the door of our own rationality. Knocking on our own door. And what we need to do is stop knocking on our own rationality and instead knock on the door of heaven. Knock and the door will be open to you. Worry is an inward focused activity that is nauseating precisely because looking to ourselves is not the answer. We need to stop knocking on our own doors and knock on God's door. So for us Christians living in, for those of us who are striving to follow after Jesus in a world that is, you know, just saddling everyone with anxiety, we need to recognize that. Stop worry and decide to pray. Decide, oh, yeah, we don't have the solutions. Oh, yeah, we're not in control of the future. Oh, yeah, God, you already have inaugurated the end of history by Jesus' death and resurrection. Oh, yeah. And we stop and we allow ourselves to be, or we interrupt ourselves. We need to look up. Pray out loud. Start with help. You know, we're learning the Lord's Prayer. Start with that. Just pray. Get out of your head and your solutions and into God's house. Knock and he'll let you in. The third thing that we do, we tell God what we need. Tell God what we need. Needs and wants are quite different things. You probably heard that before. You know that that's true. Um... I listed a few things um, because I think a part of this process and even tell God what you need is the imperative is to, be, to recognize what it is we actually need. Um, we need him. But here's some things that we might want. We may want easy or better relationships, but what we need is emotional and spiritual maturity. We might want others to be easier to get along with. And then what we discover is, oh, we need to be the person that gets along with others. We may want our kids to change, but what we need is a new perspective on their development. We need, we need God's broader perspective. Oh, God, I, this is what I need right now. I've stopped my worry. I've decided to pray. This is, oh, this is what I need. We may want more money, but what we need is to be disciplined in our spending. Oh, I'm, I'm again in anxiety because of our financial situation. Lord, provide. And he might be saying, stop spending. <laughs> I mean, that's really easy to do in our culture. We may want to get married. But what we need is to become the person we're looking for is looking for. We may want a better car, but what we need is reliable transportation. That just affords a whole new thing of like, oh God, however you want to provide for my transportation needs, not Lord, up my status. <laughs> you see what I mean? We need to learn how to know our actual needs. 
This is formed by abiding in the community of faith. This is, this is formed to, to know what our real needs are by abiding in the word, by abiding in the, in the, uh, in the spirit together, in the sacraments. These things all f- help to form appropriate desires because we are people who are made to desire. We are creatures of desire. We are drawn towards what we love and we need, um, we need the community to be around other Jesus followers to adequately form what it is that we should be desiring or what it is that we need. Often we come to put our love, our hope um, in wants that need to be redirected towards what our actual needs are. So I would encourage you, be discerning in times of anxiety. What is it that you need? What is it the scriptures testify that you need? What is it that you really need? And once you've done that, Paul invites you to stoke the fires of faith by looking at what God has done in the past with gratitude. Thank him. Thank him for all he has done. Thanksgiving is powerful. Now, I really, I respect the scientific community, but sometimes their breakthrough discoveries are simply rediscoveries of ancient truths that we find in the scriptures. Uh, For example, Joshua Brown and Joel Wong wrote in Greater Good Magazine in 2017, recent evidence suggests that a promising approach is to complement psychological counseling with additional activities that are not too taxing for clients, but yield high results. In our own research, we have zeroed in on one such activity, the practice of gratitude. Indeed, many studies over the past decade have found that people who consciously count their blessings tend to be happier and less depressed. (laughs) That's great. I'm glad they discovered that. I mean, I think that's great. And it's all true, right? It's just like, yes. And we don't say this with any sort of arrogance, but we just say, oh, gosh, seems like the scriptures know about humans. (laughs) It just... It's just there. We can, we just, yeah, we need to do it. A symptom of a sin-soaked world is that we live with foggy goggles. Um, we're not easily taken to awe or appreciation, and so we have to practice Thanksgiving. On the, on the regular, someone might say, wow, look at, look at the sky. This is Danya and Ava in 2011. You really? Tanya's my wife, she, we're married, and uh, <laughs> I, sorry, I say that because there's always new people here, and as I'm talking affectionately about, like, who is this one? Anyway. <laughs> it was, yeah. Um, we saw, did anybody see the sun this morning? Some of us who came to the early class this morning, we saw the sun, it was, it was beautiful and big and and uh, yeah, there's discussion of why that is right now. And, and on the regular, somebody's saying, say, wow, look at the sky. But then we live in a world that likes to demystify this. I looked up, why do sunsets you know, look beautiful? And here's what science has to say. The colors of the sunset result from a phenomenon called scattering. Molecules and small particles in the atmosphere change the direction of light rays, causing them to scatter. Scattering affects the color of light coming from the sky, but the details are determined by the wavelength of the light and the size of the particle. Most people like sunsets. Few people like to hear scientists talk about them. (laughs) You know, it sucks the awe out of life. (laughs) Explaining it. And we live in a culture and a world that is always 
rationalizing everything to us and telling us that it's like this odd confluence of various elements that somehow trigger chemical responses in us. And like, just shut your mouth. We're just in awe. (laughs) It's just amazing. We need poetry more than rational explanations. And the scriptures help us out. It's part of what's in the scriptures. And last week in our abide reading, we read Psalm 19. And this is what the psalmist says. It's more, much more poetic. The heavens are telling the glory of God and the firmament proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours forth speech and night to night declares knowledge. There is no speech. There are no words. Their voice is not heard and yet their voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. In the heavens he has sent a tent for the sun which comes out like a bridegroom from his wedding canopy like a strong man runs its course with joy. It's rising from the end of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them and nothing is hid from its heat. There's this marvel that this is the evidence of God God's handiwork all around us all of the time. And so we should thank God for all that he has done. We should remind ourselves that God created a good world and he's blessed us with the opportunity to see that there's goodness that is coming out. And as we walk in his kingdom and his way, we are brought to a place of worship and awe and relief. None of us could create what that picture encapsulated. But the same God who created that is the same God who attends to you and your actual needs. Praise God. Tell him, thank you. Tell him, wow. Ask him, help me to see your wonders anew and afresh. At any given moment, stoop in your yard to marvel at the blade of grass. We're coming soon the changing colors of the leaves, or like in our neighborhood, the frenzied activity of the squirrels, or the laziness of Waz the cat, our cat. (laughs) Tell God thank you, tell him wow. And then stoke the fires of faith by remembering, recalling, and declaring again what God has done for you. Thank him for life, for breath, for enough food to get to this moment, for miracles big and small, for sustaining you through grief and pain. And if you're daring, thank him for the ways that pain and trial have transformed you. And if you're super daring, thank God for the trials that are to come because we will be formed by them and changed. And then we experience peace. We experience peace after stopping worry, after deciding to pray, after telling God our actual needs, after thanking God we're brought to a place of equilibrium and peace. You see, patience, and I want you to get this from this message, patience is not something that we muster. It's not something that we conjure, but rather it's the results or the fruits of a disciplined approach to our lives in which we stop worry, we decide to pray, we tell God our needs, we thank God, and we experience peace. And people at peace become people of patience, and people with patience are people of love. In a world that is fraught with anxiety and therefore impatience and anger and all sorts of things, this is the regular, daily, moment-by-moment activity that we can live in to cultivate peace and patience. And then when we are patient, we, we point to what actual love is, which points to God. 
Hmm. Now, this isn't, you were given this sticker on the way in. I put it on the back of my phone, like in my phone case. So if you got the sticker, if you didn't get a sticker and you want one, look on your seat around you somewhere. Raise your hand and keep your hand up. Um, there are a few people that I think, Devin, did you give them? Yep, there's a, keep your hand up. Somebody's bringing those to you right now. Um, we've made these so you can put it on like your water bottle or like your laptop or your phone case like I did. And just to remind you of those steps that you can walk through and get to peace. Now, James Gerber commented on the message this week. I appreciated his comment. He said, it's easy to see this as a five-step process that is neat and clean and that we can do and get the results that we want. And he said, however, life is grittier and more complex than that. And we get that. And so um, uh, God cannot be reduced to an equation, nor can spiritual formation be reduced to an equation. But I think this is a good place to start. Okay. So your, your takeaway this week is put this somewhere where you see it. And it is a sticker that peels off. Thank you, Jennifer King, for making these. And um, let's practice. Let's practice that this week. Okay. Okay, I'm going to give you one minute to send any questions in. Any questions in? Um, we're going to pull that slide up. Yep. Yeah, there's the number. Just send me that text, and then I'll select a question or two. And we'll respond before we move towards... <clears throat> Some really good questions coming in. All right, lots of good questions, so we're not going to be able to, um, won't be able to answer them all. Uh, can we put up the, somebody's asking the graphic one more time, the, the five steps, or the, yeah, the five steps. Can we put that up? Somebody was asking for that. Okay. Uh, lots of good questions. I appreciate hearing what you're reading, what you guys are processing, processing through. Um, so one person asks, and maybe this is like, where does the interstate um, system, how does that interact with what we're talking about? What I was trying to illustrate there is that the interstate system displaces us from community, and so we carry anxiety. That's just trying to illustrate that's one of the reasons that we have anxiety, and it's unseen. 
So um, not directly related to the process, but directly related to why we carry so much anxiety. We tend to be disconnected from, from community. So what you're doing and being a part of a community is a great offset to the world that we live in. Another person, um, at, it may have seemed that I was saying science is bad, like juxtaposed, why can't science just be another way to, I'm gonna put words in their mouth, but why can't science just be another way to um, tell the story of God's goodness? Um, kind of like math does, like there's all these mathematical relationships and math gives us the language to understand those and it's astounding and beautiful and maybe it's another language. So let me say this clearly that I, I don't, I'm not trying to disparage and if I poke too much fun at that, I'm not saying I don't appreciate science. I think what I am saying is that I appreciate given our rationalistic age, how poetry and especially the poetry of the Bible takes us back to a, a more fundamental and holistic way of seeing the world, not strictly rational. So um, I, I hope that's helpful. Um, and, but this one is just really, um, really good. What does peace feel like in your experience? What does peace feel like in your experience? That's a really good question. Maybe you're kind of wondering too. Um, I would, these are some th ways that I would describe it in my experience. Equilibrium, equilibrium, which means like centered, um, accepting, um, uh, non-compulsive or impulsive, ready to respond in a measured way, um, those are, I know when I'm at peace, after I've worked through something that is anxiety inducing or emotional inducing, whether that be parenting or relational conflict, um, when I'm at peace, those are the things that I feel and then I'm able to respond much more dynamically, less with my limbic system, my reactions or anger emotions um, and more present with um, more objective, that'd be another way. Those are things, that's what peace feels like. And I have noted over the years how my relationship with the Lord and our relationship with him together cultivates that. <clears throat> okay. Um, a couple other questions just, and we'll just wrap up here. Um, and a couple other questions of uh, wondering if it's, um, how our global reach interacts with local and maybe implied within those questions, wondering if as we are extending ourselves to the world, if maybe we're creating some of those problems of anxiety because we're trying to care about things that are far away from us. Um, and that, that's just a really good observation. Um, what I would say in response to that is that as we have relationship and pathways to help even the ends of the earth not just as general abstract way out their ideas, but as ways that we can particularly help in Guatemala with our friend in Northern Ireland that we're working with. Um, we're actually activating a, a responsible approach to caring about these things in a, in a way that's not just general concern about the world, but a particular action that we are taking. And finally, a couple of people said, I said finally a couple of times now, didn't I? Yeah, I just, <laughs> yeah. And finally, yeah, this will be it. Are Stephen ministers 
if you are somebody that is not coming to that place of equilibrium and you are you know, walking in anxiety or worry, you can't solve that all on your own. And we don't think that you should even take this home and this will be helpful for you. But Stephen ministers are those that can help walk that through with you and provide you space. They meet what you do is you, if you need that, you sign up for Stephen Minister. Um, you can do that on our website or there's a box and a sign up just outside the children's ministry hallway. And those people then meet with you weekly and listen to you and provide just gentle direction back towards God, who is the cure giver. And so that is a great way for you to to get some peace in your life if you find yourself really needing that. That's exactly what they're there for. 